I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin and college athletics right now. And thankfully, there's been some big news in the college athletic world, so we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to get into our 2021 draft prospects for Wisconsin football. Uh, The 2020 draft class just wrapped up. Uh, We had quite a few guys taken. Uh, in, in the draft, and, and Chris Orr getting unsigned. And next year we'll probably have a little bit smaller of a class, but still some interesting prospects. So to kind of wrap up our NFL draft coverage, we're going to get into who we think might be on the radar of teams as we get going into next football season. So we'll start with our news of the day, and then we'll get into that. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing phenomenal. Ready to talk a little Badger football, you know, looking – in our hourglass for the future, kind of see what we think. And also some some big news on the college football front, which I know is our favorite, uh, with the name, image, and likeness like you had mentioned. Yeah, well, let's hop right into that. Uh, Today there was kind of some some news progressing toward uh, essentially the most – season down explanation for it is that the NCAA is is getting pushed uh, and getting momentum behind a name, image, and likeness for these college athletes. So essentially, they would be able to take advantage of partnerships, sponsorships, uh, whether it be you know with a local business or you know a, a social media ad campaign, things like that, where essentially. It boils down to college athletes being able to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but it sounds like the, the groundwork is finally getting pushed in that direction. They're hoping to have that in, in place for the 2021-2022 season, which would be huge and really change the game of college athletics because these are going to be opportunities and things that we have never seen before in college sports, which is going to be really exciting. I think it's it's probably going to be welcomed and and really improve the game because this is something that, you know, for, for sports fans, college athletic fans, we've been talking about players being able to take advantage of who they are for, for years now, and it sounds like it's finally starting to come to fruition. So what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's big for college football, like you said. It will shake up kind of the traditional model that everybody is used to. Um, you know, I actually, in digging into it a little bit and reading more about um, kind of what is being put into place by the NCAA potentially and what's being pushed forward, uh, it actually looks like uh, – it's it's less conserv or uh, way more aggressive than I thought it was going to be. I thought the NCAA would have been a little more conservative on it. You know, we've seen them kind of move as slow as molasses through um, history, and and here you can see that's pretty robust. They're looking at um, in addition to being able to be a um, 
promotion, promoter of toppers, for example, like Jonathan Taylor. Um, players can also hold their own camps and um, make money off of that uh, and be able to do a lot of different things that would help and, and includes that people who are own businesses or, and who are donors can also go ahead and um, give money to these players. They can do autographs. They can do, like, everything that's coming down the pipe is is things that, you know, as a student athlete, they've got to be happy for because it's something that they want. They're going to be able to profit off themselves. They will be taxed and all that, um, just like any other revenue. But it's interesting that uh, they also have to, though, when they do this, they have to disclose any financial agreements to the university um, in a, ahead of time, but they also cannot use the university with any of their promotional materials. So they can't, like, uh, say uh, Jack Cohn or Graham Mertz is on a um, is actually going to be doing a car commercial for a local establishment, whether it's like Zimbrick or something. Um, they can't have the Wisconsin logo in there at all, or have him wearing a Wisconsin jersey, anything like that, because that's promoting the university. In which case, the university would be making money off of it, could be making money off it as well. So, um, because they're not technically employees, so it's really fascinating stuff, and I think it's really going to change the way um, recruitments even go, and the way in which schools use their budget because donorships might look very different where instead of, you know, a big time donor spending a whole wave of money and making sure that there's new, um, you know, sleep tanks uh, at the school, instead they might be looking at, hey, I'm going to actually funnel this amount of money towards um, sponsorships for these three or four incoming recruits that, uh, are are supposed to be big time, you know, and so stuff like that is all going to be interesting, especially when you look to places where they don't have the advantage, like in Nebraska, but they have a huge quell of supportive fans that are crazy. So it's it's got a lot of ramifications, but I think it's very exciting, um, and it's definitely going to bring a shift to the college football landscape. Oh, yeah, it's going to change things definitely in a big way, but I think it's something that – uh, if you're a player, you you want to be able to take you know and, and and make profit off of yourself, and I think that's what this all boils down to. Where this is essentially something that is fair for the player that they can go out and and use their name, their image, their likeness to provide for themselves. Because I know the argument of of college football is that they're getting a scholarship, things like that, but the revenue that these guys can create for themselves uh, is fair. You know, if you or I were were in a position where we were in the limelight, and we had the opportunity to, to make revenue off of it. No one would bat an eye, and it's the same situation for this for these players. So I'm excited to see how it will work out. I think it's great for the players. I know it'll be a little odd, uh, especially getting out of the gate, because essentially there's no model like this. This is never something that we – there's nothing that we can go off of to kind of base this on. This is all going to be brand new, which I think creates some challenges. But at the end of the day, I think it's a pretty welcome news for these players and for they for their development uh, in in both the football world and and the business world. So I'm excited to see how it'll work out. I think for a school like Wisconsin, when you talked about you know the Zimbrick, there's a lot of local places. I think it it won't. I don't think it'll hurt Wisconsin in any way because there's there's plenty of opportunities for them to to make make a profit and and look to, for opportunities that way. Some other schools, I don't know how it'll affect really small schools, but all these college towns have small dealerships, things like that, where I think it may not be 
there, there might not be as many opportunities for, say, a small school like Appalachian State, but will still be opportunities for those players to, to make it work. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes, but I think at the end of the day, I know people are cautious about it, but I think that once this all kind of gets ironed out, it'll be it'll be really good for for college athletics as a whole. Yeah, I I, I see it as something that the marquee players who are should be profiting off of who they are, their t- tremendous talents that they have, will be compensated in some way, shape, or form. Um, that makes it so that they're. Uh, uh, write it, basically like um, a writer, like you and I, when we get paid, it's not something to where we're getting paid through um, as a specific employee. It's more of a freelance work, you know, so it's kind of that's going to be, I think, the model for these guys. And it'll be something that I think that they can, for the, the best of the best, you know, the Trevor Lawrence's and the Tua Tangavailoa's of the world, they're going to be able to make a, a good chunk of change off of this and be able to um, help support their families at a at a young age. Whereas, um, you know, I I don't think the long snapper. I don't see Adam Bay going out and you know getting a huge Burger King deal. You know, so it's it's one of those things where the players who are at the top, the upper echelon, and are noteworthy around campus are going to be the people who are going to be used for it. And I think it will only benefit players, but also local businesses that are also um, you know might want to do advertisement. But it's like hey, Paul Palmeni is amazing downtown Madison if you ever had it, but they might turn to, say, uh, Cole Van Lannan or Jake Ferguson and be like, hey, we want to do um, – have you do a commercial for us or do uh, autograph signing there or whatever. So it, I think the there's a lot of good that can come from it, and the stuff that's going to be tougher to monitor for the NCAA is going to be stuff that they'll eventually figure out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They they know that this is going to be a work in progress and it's going to take a little bit, but I think at the end of the day it'll be something that uh, excitement-wise is really going to be huge for these players, and and I'm I'm really looking forward to see how how it takes, especially uh, you know with local in Madison and Wisconsin. I, I'm excited to see how that works, but I think it'd be cool to see you know Jonathan Taylor in these last few years in these opportunities or, or guys like that. That, that can take advantage of, of what they've built. So I'm I'm really excited to see how this shakes out. Uh, the other news topic that I wanted to get into was was the corona. Essentially, ESPN put out an article uh, today that kind of talked about the coronavirus update in terms of college football. There's there's no set scenario uh, in terms of what they're thinking, what they're planning on, but it's kind of the first real news and update on how coronavirus will affect the season and kind of where some people's Heads are at. I know there were some commissioners of leagues from everywhere, from Division Three to uh, FCS and FBS, that kind of weighed in, gave their opinions, kind of thought out loud. But I don't know if you had a chance to read through the whole thing, Matt. But did you take anything away from that ESPN article that kind of outlined some of the options that we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some very drastic ones, and then there's some more hopeful ones. Uh, did you have one that you thought that you liked the best, other than like, hey? Let's start from the normal get-go. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of struggling. I know there, uh, there I know there's a lot of them that that kind of looked at maybe a spring season for that one. I think that sounds good on paper, to, you know, to have a full season. And if yeah, they had to push it back, fine. But I think you're going to run into a lot of issues where if you started in in that weird period and then you roll right into next season, I think that that's really going to screw up the football off season. That maybe the common fan doesn't realize, you know, there's a ton of recruiting you have to go through. There's going to be spring football the following season where you'd never really get back on track. So 
I think if there was one where, uh, of course, both you and I want the full season starting on time, fans in the crowd, no doubt. I mean, there's there's no arguing that. But if you had to swing to an alternative, I, I kind of looked at um, the one where they're essentially just playing the conference games. The only issue you have is like a team like Notre Dame. What do you do with them? If you're playing conference games, they're an independent, so how do you work that? But um, I think if you had to push it back and you lose those non-conference games as much as it would suck for, for teams like that or the small schools that kind of rely on revenue to play some of these big schools, I think rather than, than cancel an entire season, that might be an option that they could realistically do without without essentially flipping the entire college football world on its head. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair, and I think that's kind of where I'm leaning. Instead of, I think spring, it's going to put a tremendous strain on players if you're able to then have a season right away in the fall again. That's a really quick turnaround for players to be playing basically two full seasons within a uh, a year's span. Um, you know, their, their bodies need to recover for many players uh, to get right and be ready to play in the fall. Um, you know, we see players every year going into the NFL draft, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're still cleaning up this. They're still cleaning up this. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where that's a, that's a big strain to put on their bodies. I'm interested to see what uh, how it works out demographically across the, the country because I think there's a lot of places that are starting to move forward at a rapid rate trying to get people back into their normal lives. You know, we look in the south and um, – you know, uh, it just means more, might mean a lot more to them uh, come the fall where they might be wanting to push forward with it. But I know a lot of people are kind of trying to make it so that all the conferences are on the same page. But if it gets down to where, you know, the West Coast doesn't want to play and everybody else is, you know, ready to move forward or, you know, you've got the places around New York or Boston, major metro hubs that are on the East Coast, aren't able to quell this pandemic. It's it's going to be interesting to see how much that's going to, that fight might come out between teams because you look at, uh, you know, Wisconsin, there's, there's a, a good amount of cases, but it's not quite as much as, you know, around Rutgers, for example. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if, if there are certain schools that don't participate or if, or if, uh, you know, they just blanketly cancel for, complete conferences or how it all unfolds because there's a lot of moving pieces here and I don't see, you know, the SEC necessarily stopping college football uh, in their neck of the woods anytime soon based off of kind of how things have been moving forward there um, and, and how that might transpire. Yeah, I agree with you. I could definitely see, you know, that, that kind of situation happening where, where the SEC might say, okay, we're ready to play football. Let's figure out a way to do it if, if everybody's not on board versus, versus you know, the Pac, Pac-12 might say, you know, this isn't safe. We're, we're not ready to play. We've got major metropolitan areas, you know, and with USC and UCLA and Los Angeles that, that we have concerns with. So I'm interested to see how that would work. Uh, unfortunately, in that article, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren uh, did decline the interview. So I wasn't – we weren't able to really get a read on on where his head was at with all of this, which is unfortunate because he is stepping into Jim Delaney's role, and it would have been interesting to see where his head was at as he goes into kind of his first full season at the helm of the Big Ten, but uh, he did not uh, comment on anything, so we're not really sure. But I I do see that being a possibility where, where some schools are 
you know, states are open. It's time to go back and, and play football. And there's some states where it's uh, or it's going to be an issue. So I don't I don't really know how it's going to work. I'm I'm still cautiously optimistic that we're going to play on time. But the other option, of course, is without the fans, which at the end of the day would would be tough. I think it'd be really awkward if you're playing, uh, you know, without eighty thousand people in Camp Randall. But would you rather play without or or play football in an empty stadium or or have the fans and not be able to play at all? So I'm I'm not sure if that's a realistic option or not, but I think that could be something that is definitely in the works as well. Yeah, it's just it's very unprecedented and it's just kind of a wait and see mode like everybody's been in, and you know it's it's just one of those things where there's so much money at stake yeah. for these universities, like their budgets for across their athletic departments are so hamstrung to college football that uh, there's going to be a lot of decision making that's got to go down in the next you know few months leading up before the season starts uh you know in late August basically when teams can start playing yes most definitely it's going to be interesting to see and of course thankfully for college football you know that they haven't started yet it's not like they had to cancel mid-season or or right before the start like you're seeing with major league baseball so they've got time to come up with a with a plan and it may not be the plan that we want to hear, but uh, I know at the end of the day we're optimistic that we'll just be able to see football, whether it be in person or on our TVs, and, and hopefully everyone's safe in doing that. So uh, I know there was one other topic we wanted to get to, and that is, uh, the, is Wisconsin basketball news in Julian Roper. So, Matt, what do you make of uh, Julian narrowing down his decision? Uh, if you guys aren't familiar, he's in the class of 2021 uh, shooting guard prospect out of Franklin, Michigan. So what did you make of, of that news? Yeah, I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere that he said that, hey, he's setting an announcement date of May 4th. So uh, next week around uh, this time we should be uh, knowing whether he chose the badges or not. I know that there's a lot of smoke around other programs as well. Um, you know, Wisconsin is, is one of those teams that's right in the thick of things. Had an official visit with him back in November uh, when he came for the Iowa game and the Eastern Illinois game. Uh, you know, he's a really talented player, really good friends uh, with with uh, Warren Bowman, who's going to be on the team next year. Played through the same high school at St. Mary's Prep. And then uh, he also is, you know, good friends with some of the 2021 commits like Chucky Hepburn. So there's room for optimism that he may choose the Badgers, but there's also, you know, a lot of um, talks that, you know, Northwestern, He's big into academics. Could Northwestern pull an upset and get him uh, another team he took an official visit to? Or, you know, could a team like Ohio State or Missouri also get involved? So um, there's a lot up in the air with with his commitment and where he's going to end up going. But hopefully he picks the Badgers. But I would say right now it's kind of like a 50-50 coin flip of if he ends up between Wisconsin and Northwestern. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking because, you know, here on 247, the, the crystal ball still has them as 100% Wisconsin, but it does sound much more even between Northwestern and, and the Badgers. I know there's some – it's almost every every decent Big Ten program in the conference has kind of kicked the tires and has interest in Julian. But it sounds like, at least from what we've kind of seen and heard in, in our channels, that it's going to be between Wisconsin and Northwestern, which is interesting because they – both schools are are different. Uh, you know, one is you know in the in the area of Chicago versus Madison is is a lot different than than where Evanston's at. And academics wise, both schools are are pretty quality. But Northwestern's definitely that 
tier above and if you're really interested in something like that where it could be a school. So I'm I'm really surprised. I I could really see it go, going either way right now because there's there's clear that outside of basketball there's interest for Julian. So I'm interested to see where that decision comes comes down to. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating because he would be another tremendous addition to the 2021 class, which already is sitting really pretty. I think they're at second in the nation right now behind USC. Um, you know, they would they would be in a in a really rare company uh, early on here with recruiting. So hopefully they can uh, secure his commitment that because that would be huge. Yes, it definitely would be. That class of 2021 is is looking really nice for the Badgers, and hopefully they can continue to do that uh, with their staff and, and the group that they've got. It's going to be exciting to watch uh, as we get into uh, college basketball season and recruiting coming down uh, the pipe that way. So anything else you want to touch on news-wise? Otherwise, we'll get into our 2021 draft prospects. Let's talk a little, uh, you know, prognostication for 2021 <laughs> football, even though right. we don't even sure if it's going to happen. Exactly, exactly. All right, guys, well, we're going to go ahead and kick it over to a couple quick ad reads. And then we'll get into our 2021 way too early NFL draft talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. All right, guys. The 2020 Wisconsin football uh, and NFL draft has season has come to an end. Of course, we've already talked about where the likes of Jonathan Taylor and Tyler Biotish and Quintez Cephas have went and landed. Uh, but now we're going to get into our you know way too early look into the 2021 draft. I think the Badgers have some. Reasonable prospects that maybe don't jump out, you know, like this time last year, Jonathan Taylor jumped out as, you know, a top pick. I don't know necessarily if Wisconsin's draft class will be the same in, in terms of that, but I still think there's some some solid prospects for teams to look at. So what do you make of a, a potential 2021 class going into, you know, this next football season? I think they're set up with some, some underclassmen that really have a shot to – to jump up some draft boards. There's also some guys on the defense. Wisconsin should have another really solid defense if they can um, find some guys to replace Zach Orr and or Zach Orr, Zach Bond and Chris Orr. Um, you know, so I think they're in a good spot. And there's some of those guys who have been in the program for a while who have really stepped up that could leapfrog up. But I, I think you're right that there's not going to be the top end talent that we saw with Wisconsin last year. You know, Wisconsin only had four draft picks, which, you know, is it's fine for Wisconsin. They've had more. They've had less in the past. But uh, I, I think Wisconsin recruiting is going to make it so that there's going to be more in the um, coming years. But this year, I would expect probably around that same amount, you know, four or five um, guys. But it'll be – it might not be as many first – guys who are in the conversation for a first round. Like we had both Bond and – um, Taylor in conversation for a late first round. I don't know if I see anybody on the roster right now that's, you know, kind of in that first round area. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I don't, I don't know if you see that right now. I mean, maybe you have at this point in time, I mean, maybe you, you get big seasons out of someone and they skyrocket up draft boards. We've seen that all the time. 
know, this time last year, were, was Zach Bond going to be as high a prospect as he ended up being? Um, no, at this time he wasn't. So it's it's interesting to see, and I know we can only work with what we've got, but uh, th- there's certainly guys that can maybe make that jump. But right now, yeah, I don't see anyone anyone being a you know a top 50 prospect at this point in time. But again, hopefully we have a college football season where these guys can go out and prove it and and jump up boards because that's that's the way to do it is by going out and playing quality football. But who do you make as as maybe your top prospect? I, I we put out a poll on. Twitter that uh, listed four guys, and, and it seemed like Cole Van Lannen was the overwhelming favorite, and I would have to guess that's probably where you'd be thinking if you had to put a you know a, a bet out as to who will be the highest drafted Badger. Would, would Cole Van Lannen be the guy you'd go with? Yeah, at this juncture, I think he would. Um, you know, I don't think he has the highest potential of where he could get drafted, but I do think that as of right now, I think he's the best bet to get drafted in general. Um, so I think if if I was going to bet, that would probably be the guy. Um, you know, I think he's he's had a really good couple seasons on film now. Um, he he's a guy who who's been part of some really good offensive lines. He can probably leapfrog up a little bit on boards because he's a tackle. He has some potential there. Um, you could also see him moving inside potentially as well. Um, I, I think he's he's a player who's who's got a really good pedigree. You know, he was a four-star kid, um, and I think he's he's got the measurables and everything you want out of a, a good tackle in the NFL. So I think as of right now, he's probably the guy, but I still don't necessarily see him as a first-rounder. I could see anywhere between like third and fifth round for him next year it would be kind of my guess. But I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, jumped up into the second round either. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a wide range for him right now. And you looked at the class this year with with offensive linemen that was really deep. A lot of quality prospects that that teams went after. And next year, I don't know if there's as much depth at those positions. So maybe that benefits him. You know, come waiting a year, coming back, getting stronger, getting better. And and of course, a Wisconsin offensive lineman, you're going to get that that extra vote of confidence. From from you know evaluators because you played at such a dominating you know uh, program with with in terms of turning out quality linemen like like Wisconsin so that'll be interesting to see if if that'll affect them at all but right now I think there's a wide range and I, I think Cole will definitely benefit from having another season of of tape and for people to look at uh, to see whether that'll help skyrocket him and push him up the board a little bit as he goes into that uh, 2021 draft. What about some others? Because I know. We had Jake Ferguson on the uh, on the poll. He looks like a you know exciting prospect. You look at the tight end class from this past season or this past draft, not really deep. Uh, and next year it might be quite a bit better. But Jake Ferguson will definitely be a guy in terms of size and, and athleticism that I think teams will have some their eyes on. So what do you make of uh, a possible draft prospect in Jake Ferguson? Yeah, I mean I think he's a guy who could definitely climb. Uh, you know we saw him kind of come out the gates a little slow with that uh, broken thumb uh, or ligament in his thumb injury from last year in, in fall camp that was all bandaged up. And, you know, he didn't have necessarily the year, I think, you know, from a number standpoint that I think he wished he would have had, you know, over 400 yards receiving each of his first two seasons uh, when he played. Um, so he's got a lot of tape out there. I think he's a guy, though, that could have a huge year this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he leads the Badgers in receptions and in receiving yards just because of what he brings to the table. I could see him being Jack Cohn or, or Graham Mertz, uh, for that matter, their favorite target. So I, I think he's a guy who could definitely jump up some boards. 
there's some guys ahead of him that are, you know, surefire guys to probably be high picks, like Pitts out, um, Pitts out of Florida and um, Fryermuth at Penn State, are, I think are two guys that have gotten a lot of love so far. But Ferguson's got all the measurables, all the athletic ability. You know, he was a prep basketball player and, and good at it. Um, so I think he, he's got all the makings um, and the lineage of a guy that you could see jump up draft boards and end up being, you know, a second, third round pick. Um, but we'll see. And, and he's also got another year. He could totally just return. So it's it's one of those things where we'd be projecting that he'd be leaving after a good year. But I wouldn't be surprised by it, uh, given the way that the Badgers have really tried to stock up on tight ends lately. It, it kind of signals, hey, they think this kid's going to break out um, with Quintez Cephas not there. Yeah, and I think that's probably smart. I mean, they've in terms of recruiting, like you said, yeah, they've they've built depth behind him, but at the same time, I, I do think that everybody, you know, if you looked at last season, production for Jake Ferguson was, was kind of down and where you expected, but he was still one of the top targets for Jack Cohn, and without Quintess Cephas, it's, it's more than fair to just assume that more of those targets are going to be in Jake Ferguson's direction, and part of that will also be that he'll be fully healthy and he'll be worked in there and and not be the only tight end that's healthy on the roster. That that definitely made it effective where all that's going to change as we come into next season. I think he'll be a, a really strong prospect and benefit from a good year where he could jump up uh, some boards. Those two are kind of the obvious top two, I think, right now, but then there's a couple other guys that – I think with, again, big seasons could could make a jump, and, and that's kind of Logan Bruss and Jack Sanborn. So what do you make of those two as they come into the 2021 season and, and draft? Well, Logan Bruss, I think uh, if he were to move inside and go to guard, I think it would help his draft status because then he would have two solid years at tackle shown on tape, and then he'd also have a year uh, where he would probably be playing uh, in the NFL level at, at guard. I think his future is inside. Um, I think that would actually help him. I still think he's probably going to be a guy that's going to end up in the in the middle rounds, later middle rounds uh, in the NFL draft someday. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back, though, for his senior year uh, and, and does that because right now he would be only a junior next year. So I, I think Bruss is a guy that should probably um, stay because he will probably be like a – fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick eventually. But I actually think Jack Stamborn is a guy who I wouldn't be surprised if he flies up Jack, um, draft boards as well. I think he – I put him in a similar situation as Ferguson. Both of them were, were you know, four-star kids. Uh, Ferguson was four stars on some sites, not all of them, whereas Jack Stamborn was pretty, you know, cut and dry a four-star, and he was the highest uh, – or highest-ranked guy in that class that he came in with. Um, I think Sanborn's in a position where he will have put two really, really good years on tape if he has a really good year next year as as the leading tackler of the Badgers, you know, and he, he's not a guy like – I think he has a little bit more to the table than a guy like T.J. Edwards, who we saw go um, not necessarily where we thought he would uh, in, in his terms of his future. I think Sanborn's got the – everything that you look for in a middle linebacker that can succeed in the NFL. I could see him jumping up and being like a uh, second, third round pick next year if he puts together a really good year. Once again, that's another position that the the Badgers are really stockpiling at, and it's that's usually an indication that they think, hey, we're probably not going to have this guy um, going forward. So you look at four-star prospect, you look at uh, – 
you know, had really, really good numbers last year. We saw his interceptions. We saw his tackles. We saw his sacks. I think without um, Bon and or he's a guy who's going to really shoulder a bigger load, and I think he's going to break out. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him jump up. Um, I know on the uh, NFL NFL Network, their top whatever, I think it was like 300 players, he, he is listed as number 72 right now. Uh, and so you look at a guy who could – really skyrocket and surprise some people with where he's picked, it'd be Jack Sanborn in my eyes. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that could definitely be a, a situation where he rises up. Uh, you, We saw his breakout season kind of this year, and if he can put something else like that together, I think he'll be a guy that, uh, like you said, really climbs up boards. You, we've talked about Wisconsin being really strong at turning out draft prospects on the offensive line. I think if you had another position, you know, a number two position, it, it's the linebacker position. You've seen, especially lately, um, a lot of guys getting drafted and, and signed with, like you said, with Chris Orr. So if there's a, a guy that I think potentially, on, you know, as well as Jake Ferguson, really could make a jump uh, up the boards, I think it would be Jack Sanborn because he's a guy that we've already seen a really good season from him, even when he was probably – he wasn't the flashiest player. He he made the plays. He was kind of like Ryan Connolly. Uh, but we saw what he did at the at that, that next level in, in terms of of the you know maybe a third pick, third round pick where Connolly was. Uh, maybe Sandborg can get a little bit higher than that. But he just comes in like you know, a lunch pail type guy that does his job and and goes to work. So I think Sandborn definitely as a a true linebacker pro- prospect on the inside is is definitely an interesting prospect where. He could definitely jump up some boards with a good season. So I'm excited to see. And I think a lot of people around Wisconsin football are kind of expecting that because he was he was a great player, didn't get enough credit for the season he had this past season. And I think as kind of the stud linebacker he'll be this season, he'll he'll get more of that recognition where maybe he can jump up some boards. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got the prototypical size that you want in an inside linebacker. He could play in the 3-4 or the 4-3. Um, and I, I think if, if Zach Bond can be a third-round pick, if Ryan Connolly can be a fifth-round pick, for example, I think there's no telling. I think he can for sure be a, you know, anywhere between that second and fifth range, for sure. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. All right, I think those four are probably the four that you look at with, with a lot, not a lot of confidence, but I, as a prospect, you can see the moldings kind of going together. But then there's some others, you know. Of course, Jack Cole is a senior; he'll be going to, you know, making a jump next year if he puts together a good season. Maybe um, some guys in the secondary like Eric Burrell or Caesar Williams. So, what do you make of of some of those guys that are maybe off the radar right now, but could certainly make a jump onto the radar with again a, a good season? Yeah, I think Burrell and Caesar Williams are guys that could get a late late round flyer just because of what they have um, put together. Caesar Williams had a really good season last year and, and did some phenomenal things. And I think the biggest thing going for him is he's got legit speed and he's got legit size. You know, he is, he is a bigger cornerback that you look at some of these NFL teams that really want to do, um, you know, a zone and zone scheme, want to bring in big corners. He's a guy that would fit a lot of that. You know, he's used to playing press man-to-man, but he also can play in zone. Uh, I think he's a guy who could be, you know, a sixth-round pick um, for a team that's trying to take a flyer on, hey, we want a big, big physical cornerback that can come in and possibly fit our scheme. He would make a lot of sense. And Burrell is just one of those guys that I think is, like you said with Jack Sanborn, kind of underappreciated. He makes just so many damn plays, like where it's 
I, he's just around the ball. He makes the the plays that end up in in splash plays. He makes the interceptions. He he makes big tackles. He makes um you know I think that that uh, strip sack that he had that led to the Henningsen touchdown. He makes a lot of splash plays that just kind of happen, and that's usually not by mistake. Usually there's there's a reason that he is making those plays. Um, so I think both of those guys in the secretary have a shot. Now, would I, if I was a betting man, would I say, hey, I'm guessing those guys are going to be draft picks next year? I don't know if I go that far, but I think they're definitely guys who, who have a, an opportunity if they have a big year and are able to, to show more on tape of, hey, I, this is what I've been doing the last three years. You know, all, both of them have been significant contributors for a while. Yeah, and I like what you said about Caesar Williams in terms of size and speed because, of course, we're we're kind of looking into the crystal ball a little bit, and and we're we're banking on, of course, a college football season being played, some of these guys having a good season, and then going to the next level. And I think when you're doing that right now, you can all only really go on of what you've seen and and the size and speed and athleticism and the frame that some of these guys have. So. Uh, Caesar Williams, like you said, has good speed, has good size, something that NFL draft prospects were he already kind of checks two boxes in that regard. So he'll get some interest and he'll get some looks that way. And in the same, maybe not in terms of athleticism, size, and speed can be said for Eric Burrell, but I think Eric Burrell's kind of a guy like Chris Orr where he's just got that heart. He's got the guy that maybe he doesn't get drafted, but he maybe he goes the undrafted route and, and gets that way. So I'm I'm interested to see him him as a prospect, but at the same time he's he's kind of like a guy with a chip on his shoulder where he's gonna just try and make things happen, and you can you know people can doubt him and things like that, but he'll, he'll still be a guy that's gonna be in the mix and in the fold because he's just like you said a playmaker. So and then the other one we didn't talk about was Jack Cohn. I know a lot of people have looked at his accuracy last season, his completion percentage as, as something that maybe is a prospect uh, and a project for a quarterback. You look at next year's class with with you're going to have Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields towards the top, and then some other guys. So I'm I'm not sure. I think you still have to definitely see another season from him, but it's certainly in in the fold. So uh, is there any others that you're maybe looking at? Maybe Isaiah Loudermilk or, or Garrett Rand on the defensive line, or any other guys that you kind of have in mind as we as we look at a, a draft class like that? Yeah, I mean, I think both Isaiah Loudermilk and Garrett Rand, uh, if they can keep the Injury bugs in the, in the rear view for them. They'll have a shot to be an unrestrict or a undrafted free agent or a, a late round pick maybe for a louder milk based off of just his crazy size and and strength that he has. You know, six seven three three bills doesn't necessarily just grow on trees. Um, I think he's a guy that has some position versatility along the defensive line that he could play both three four four three, which will help him. Rand kind of in a similar route. He's kind of playing out of position in a lot of ways in, at Wisconsin. So I think they're guys that have a shot if, if they put together a good year. Um, but, but like I said, that's just kind of tossing, tossing darts at a board. Um, but I think Jack Cohn actually is a guy who, who could, if, he has, if he's able to show that he can throw the ball down the field, if he, if he can do that um, and keep his um, you know, passing percentage the way it is, he's got size and – and and uh, athletic ability to to possibly stick and and make a roster um, in in the future. You know who knows if he'll even be the starting quarterback next year. Um, you know I know a lot of people have postulated about that, but Cone's a guy who's who's got the athleticism um, and to to do so. I mean Nate Stanley um, completed eight passes against Wisconsin for thirty three percent one time, and and he was a seventh round pick. 
so you you never know with with quarterbacks. It's a crapshoot. Somebody might fall in love with him if he gets to go to the Senior Bowl. I know he's on their radar, uh, and he might get a shot. So it's you never know. Quarterback is such a hard um, position for NFL teams to get right, and there's uh, you know most teams only have two or three, and so you never know. He might have a shot. Yeah, and the other thing about that is is next year's quarterback class, outside of you're, you're going to have Trevor Lawrence, who's pretty much been penciled in as the top pick in the draft in, in most places. I mean, there's people already – there's already a social media campaign of Tank for Trevor, so he's definitely going to be in there. And, of course, Justin Fields is going to be an interesting prospect. When you look at the guys behind him in this quarterback class coming up, uh, there's not there's not a lot. I mean, Jamie Newman – uh, is at Georgia. He's an he's a name that was at Wake Forest. Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. KJ Costello. I mean, these guys aren't guys that have lit the world on fire. Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. You know, if if he's on the top ten list in some places, uh, I, I could definitely see Jack Cohn being in the conversation. So it's not like we're saying it's not like we're saying you know Jack Cohn is going to be a a top round pick. But I think any any NFL team will kick the tires on pretty much any quarterback prospect because that is such an important position where if they feel they found something and they can work with something, they'll take a flyer on guys because it's it's essentially the, the most important position in football. And if you can find a guy and find a steal, maybe you do that. But overall, this 2021 class isn't that deep at the quarterback position. So they're going to be, you know, NFL you know draft guys are going to look around every corner and crevice to find uh, a potential fit. So I definitely think, you know, Jack, if he has a good season, will be in a conversation with some players and some places. Yeah, and I think I think two other quarterbacks, Brock Purdy from Iowa State, will be a guy who gets some looks um, and possibly could go early. And then uh, North Dakota State's quarterback, you know, kind of talking about this area recruiting, Trey Lance, Lance is just a freaking stud. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes high, if he leaves. I mean, he might not leave. He was just a redshirt freshman last year and balled out uh, absolutely at the FCS level. So if he puts together another year, though, I mean, he could be easily a top 10, top 15 pick. Um, you know, we saw Jordan Love go, and Jordan Love doesn't have uh, anything compared to what Trey Lance put on tape his his redshirt freshman year. Yeah, that kid's a stud. And if you if you haven't watched any of, of their games, he had a phenomenal season this past year. I know they aren't on, you know, on television as much and not on the forefront every weekend, but – uh, he's an interesting interesting prospect for a lot of teams as well. So I'm be interested to see where that ends up uh, as we get into that. Anything else you want to touch on draft class-wise? Any other players you want to note? Otherwise, we'll wrap up uh, another episode. Uh, I don't think he'll get drafted, but Adam Bay is another guy who could easily land on a roster undrafted. Uh, you know, as a long snapper, there, it's one of those things where you can make a lot of money and last a long time in the league uh, Excuse me. If you are a long snapper, um, you know I I, th- I think that's a position that if you want to send your kid to the NFL and he's got mediocre size, but but he's a good athlete, that's one of those things um, that you can do um, for a long, long time. I mean, I remember Rob Davis. Remember him for the Packers. I mean, he was a long snapper for seems like forever. Uh, you know, so it's it's one of those things where. Um, We'll see, but he's a guy who I could definitely see possibly making it. Yeah, most definitely. I totally agree with you that you know if you can if you can perfect that craft, you can find a spot on on an NFL roster that way. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. And we're we're not gonna discount any prospects. If you're a long snapper prospect, we're gonna have you in and talk about you on Bucky's Fifth Podcast. So 
Um, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting class for Wisconsin, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, first if if and when college football season happens, how these guys will develop, and then this time next year I think we'll be talking about a few of these names that uh, made the jump to the next level. So it's definitely exciting, but right now I'm excited to see uh, these guys on the field for Wisconsin next year. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode and week of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our NFL Draft Talk. Uh, this past week and a half, uh, it's been a lot to cover, but it's been an enjoyable to cover some new sports and some new news. And then if you didn't have a chance already, go check out the last episode, uh, which is our interview with Alondo Tucker. I think that uh, interview was a lot of fun. So if you haven't listened to it already, make sure to check that out. As always, we appreciate you guys listening on Wisconsin. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.